Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle. I am your very vaccinated and humbled host, Jonathan Wiegand, and I just want to thank you for tuning in as we stream across the Alpha Quadrant. I am the Dr. Dilithium, the anchorman of the Federation with talent on loan from God. We have another exciting episode to bring you today, and boy, it's a big one. We're talking about the fake news, quote unquote, of Star Trek, things we've always believed to be true, which are actually false. And so that fake news is a better headline for a title than that big, long explanation. So thank you for tuning in. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind everybody about the big PanCan event coming May 1st. And I think that's about four weeks away. We're in the beginning of April here in podcast land, but it's a live event with LA Purple Strides. Now you're like, Jonathan, why are you talking about pancreatic cancer on a Star Trek podcast? That's because it's a virtual event, you know, because of the worldwide pandemic. But it has Jonathan Frax, who plays, of course, Commander Riker, and Armin Shimmerman, which, of course, plays Quark, and uh, Kitty Swinks, Swinks, Swink, <laughs> Kitty, Kitty Swank, who plays a lot of different characters across the uh, spectrum of Trek, most known for her DS9 work as um, Avorta. So please go to pancan.org. Put some money out there. Let's try to get that survival rate up to 10%. Now, this is a cause close to my heart because my mother passed away when I was 12 years old to this monstrous cancer. And at at that time, it was about 2001, 2002, the survival rate was like 2%. And now it's getting close to 10%. So we're getting there. And it's one of those great causes you guys can give because before it's been a death sentence. And now it's you can move up the survival rate a little bit and fight this thing. Thank you so much for that quick plug. So let's move right into it. Are we ready, Luna? We're ready. All right, Luna, let's roll that beautiful beam footage. One of the first things is going to be very technical, but that's why you're here, baby. You're here for that technical, good Star Trek Just mm, that burger, that meat. We don't do fluff around here. And this is the good technical stuff that you want. And the first fake news myth that we're going to cover today is that red shirts always die. Or red shirts always die proportionally more than any other service industry on Star Trek Enterprise. If you think about it, so in the original series, you have the captain, the chief medical officer, and the chief science officer and like two random red shirt guys beam down onto a planet. I mean, they're almost like tagalongs, you know, they're quote unquote security. And you know who precisely is going to die. That's always what I believed and is like the stigma out there. But would it surprise you that these like cardinal hued crewmen weren't the most likely to die on the USS Enterprise? This all comes from this source called Significance Magazine. They ran all these numbers. And that it's true that red shirts did represent 73% of the total deaths over the original series three-year span. But if you dig into the numbers, something surprises you. 
So there were 430 crewmen aboard the Enterprise and 239 of them dressed in red. What this Significance magazine found out was that red shirts suffer more casualties than crew members in other uniforms. So that is true. Red shirts do die, but they suffer fewer casualties than crew members in gold uniforms when the entire population size is considered. So only 10% of the entire redshirt population was lost during the three-year run of Star Trek, which is less than the 13.4% of gold shirts. So there you have it. We're talking about a 3.4% difference between red shirts and gold shirts. And that's why you're here, baby. You're here for that great knowledge. And I, the Dr. Belithium, bestow upon you. So you don't have to go research this later. If you're actually trying to go into a five-year mission, I guess you'd want to be a red shirt as opposed to the gold shirt. But that 3.4%, I mean, ready to roll the dice on that. All right, let's move on to our next big one. Now, this is actually what spurned the episode because when I learned this, I was like, oh, there's probably more. And I've even had talked about this on the podcast and believed this up until I read this article or found this like little tidbit. (laughs) I kid you not, it's completely true. So Star Trek has got credited for having the first interracial kiss on TV, which is... This one up. It's a made-up tale. It's a total fabrication. It never happened. It never happened. This one was invented by a writer. Not this time. It never happened. It's false. So, yes. So for the longest time, the original Star Trek, I mean, it was bold. It talked about the Vietnam War, and it was a such a like a hyperbole for the actual like political events going on in the 70s. But it's always like in culture shown as the first major like interracial kiss. And I mean, I guess it's, it's not, if it's true or not, it's how well it sells. And, and that's how, what happened here. It's not the first, but it's always been sold as the first. So that's what history remembers. And I mean, of course we're talking, and we've talked about this before in other episodes that um, this occurred in Plato's stepchildren and the plot involved the crew being turned into puppets by these powerful space jerks and could make them pretty much do anything. And one of the things is they make Kirk and your horror kiss. I mean, this is, I think it was on the band episode is because like NBC execs got nervous because how it would be in the South and how it would be like taken in the South because back then it was still like super racist. And so as the story goes, like William Shatner, like uh, messed up on purpose. So the kiss would actually get into the show and it was super historic. And yes, it was always remembered, but it's not the first. That honor goes to, ready for this, a TV special called Moving with Nancy, which aired a few months before, had a number of memorable cameos. That's Nancy Sinatra. So Moving with Nancy Sinatra. (laughs) And one of the cameos is Sammy Davis Jr., who gives Nancy Sinatra a kiss at the end of their scene together. So technically, Star Trek doesn't have the first, but it does have the most notoriety and the most claim to fame. So I guess you're just splitting hairs, but that's why you're here, baby. Split them hairs. Mm, That's good stuff on the OPP. This next one's really close to my heart. And I was really surprised when I learned because it's always kind of the stigma that humans evolved beyond religion in the 24th century. And that actually turned out to be completely false. It's fiction. It's an urban legend that never happened. No way. We got you. Not a chance. So during Star Trek Discovery's first season, um, this kind of like scandal broke out because the actor who played the captain of Discovery in the first season was told not to ad-lib the phrase, 
gosh darn it, because I'm not going to curse and commit blasphemy, but, but not because of the profanity, but because it included the word God. Star Trek has long included this, long included and promoted a humanist and like non-religious view of the future with spirituality left off to like aliens and other people like the Bajorans, but specifically with humanity, we've moved past that. And I mean, even Trek producer Brandon Bragas once said that, so this is, he said, she said, once said that creator Gene Roddenberry, quote unquote, made it well known to writers that religion and superstition and mystical thinking were not to be part of his universe. On Roddenberry's future earth, everyone is, a, is an atheist and the world is better for it. So there's some contradictions in that and we're going to start going through it. So while Picard wasn't really walking around this giant crucifix around his neck, human religion has been more present than it is popularly thought in Star Trek. From the Enterprise's chapel in the original series, um, which appeared in the episode Balance of Terror, to the um, hallucination that um, the Christmas celebration in the movie Star Trek Generation. So Christianity certainly seems to have to survive to 23rd and 24th century. Um, I mean, there's another example, whether it was Yahura giving a little shout out to Christ in the episode Bread and Circuses, or the or Voyager being turned into like a giant Christmas ornament. Jesus got a lot of love from this atheist show. And Kirk even states at one point that, quote unquote, mankind has no need for gods. We find the one quite adequate. So even though that was Roddenberry's vision and that's what he told all the writers, and according to Braga, it still so shows that no, there's still some hints that religion made it to the 23rd and 24th century and is still practiced. So interesting. Okay, this one is like, this is another great technical thing that you could win like at a bar trivia one day. And that the myth is that Kirk said, beam me up, Scotty, in the show. And I mean, that is the one cultural catchphrase Star Trek is like best known for. Like if you went to like my wife or my friend Richard, and was like, what's one thing like for catchphrase from Star Trek? They'd be like, beam me up, Scotty. And I mean, that's of course refers to Captain Kirk asking everyone's favorite Scottish engineer to beam him out whether it be like trying to get away from aliens or planet destroying, whatever. And despite the prominence of the phrase, um, the simple truth is that Kirk never said, beam me up, Scotty. Now, Captain Kirk said similar things a number of times throughout the series, such as Scotty, beam us up. Now, Captain Kirk did say a bunch of similar things a number of times in different ad libs, like pretty much Scotty, beam us up. But he never said, beam me up, Scotty. Even the beloved Star Trek 4, he says, Scotty, beam me up. However, the exact phrase, beam me up, Scotty, appears in no official Star Trek series or movie. But, I mean, it does show up like in some unofficial novels and other media. And it kind of fits in line with the whole Sherlock Holmes thing. Like, because Sherlock Holmes never actually said, elementary, my dear Watson. And, of course, Data would know that. But, I mean, it's a big pedantic point but that's why you're here you're looking for those pedantic points to learn more about your favorite show and favorite series that's been a long myth now we're moving on to another one and this one's kind of surprising because the more you think about it the more you're like yeah that totally makes sense and that is the myth that picard followed orders it's fiction we made up this one we made it up not this time wrong one of the reasons that like fans get so passionate about the debate between who's the best captain, Kirk or Picard, is because they have very different styles of leadership and very different 
ways of conducting Federation business. I mean, Picard is quiet and diplomatic and serious in those in certain scenarios, and Kirk is more quote unquote cowboy diplomacy and just kicks down doors. And um, I mean, you never really see Kirk like discussing Shakespeare with an android and teaching him how to act as opposed to sitting down with an old country doctor for a, for a stiff drink. And because of this big contrast, many people assume that Picard is like a super big stickler for the rules and especially the main rule of Starfleet, the prime directive, which if you don't know, which uh, basically states you should never seriously interfere with civilizations that aren't as advanced as you. Usually it's the pre-warp civilizations that you don't interfere with the natural trajectory of a planet's history or what's going to happen to the planet. So with Picard, if you base it on the premise of the prime directive, Picard is much more reckless than Kirk. (laughs) And we had to revisit one of my favorite episodes, the season four episode, the Drumhead. And Picard is on the stand, he's getting grilled. It actually comes up and it's like, that Picard has violated the prime directive nine times, nine times in season four. And he was just getting started. He did a lot more. One of those nine times is when he saved Wesley Crusher because he destroyed a greenhouse by playing on this alien world or Data's little girl pen pal planet that was going to get destroyed. And then Picard stepped in and saved it. So much like Kirk, Picard doesn't usually hesitate to bend the rules when he feels like there's more at stake than bureaucracy, which is the kind of captain, in my opinion, you want. You don't want somebody that's going to be by the rules forever and let an entire civilization perish just because some rule book tells you to. You have to think on your feet and have a moral compass. So speaking of moral compasses, our last little myth for the day is that Captain Kirk is a ladies' man. False. No way. Not this time. We created it. Not this time. No, not this time. So I posted this gif on Instagram a few days ago and it's of like Captain Kirk kissing all these alien women. And and my wife is like, does he do that like in every episode? Because it sure looks like it. And like to the casual fan and to like the window um, TV fan watcher, I mean, they think that Captain Kirk is just like, he's Jason Skirt. He's the ladies man of Star Trek and he's going after everybody on every episode. I mean, it's even so like, prominent that it's even in the new star trek reboot i think from like 2008 2009 in which like kirk ogles this like green woman hits on Uhura, and even is like distracted when he's walking with spock on the academy quad he's distracted by women and looking at looking at the women so i mean it's this notion that he's a ladies man he's a player but actually kirk and if you look at the tos episodes are a completely different story now there were times that Kirk did flirt with women in order to get vital info- information, but he rarely took it farther than that. Now you could say that was just the, the sign of the times. They're not going to really like suggest that on TV or et cetera. But, and this is actually another fun statistical fact that Kirk only had romantic encounters in about 25% of the original Trek episodes. So to me, it's like 25%. That's a pretty good number, man. Like, <laughs> It's a lot better than mine, but uh, so it's not like every episode. So it's just about a fourth of every episode. And if that qualifies him as a player and a horn dog, then I guess you could say that that's the point. But he's not this like space pimp that everyone remembers. However, if we're talking about Commander Riker, 
That's a whole other discussion, my friend. That has been today's episode on the fake news of Star Trek. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in. And we just want to say congratulations to the Voyager documentary. Uh, I think it's going to be called To the Journey. Is that right, Luna? Yeah, To the Journey. And it, um, it's actually become the most successful and highest rated crowdfunded documentary of all time. I think it raised $1.2 million and should be about 90 minutes long. And um, maybe the fall is the time frame they're looking at to debut this. And um, yeah, it's the same production company that ran the DS9 doc, What We Leave Behind. So I'm super excited for that. It's going to be great. I think the funding has closed, but um, just keep an eye out and I'll let you guys know if there's any um, possible reopening windows because you get a lot of goodies. Like you can even get your name in the movies, an executive producer if you pay 10 grand or, I mean, there's a whole host, everything from like $5 to, like I mentioned, 10,000 that you can uh, contribute to the film. And I just, I think I just did 25 so I could just get the movie when it came out and not have to wait like I did for DS9s. Again, thank you so much for listening. You can always find us on Instagram at Omega Particle Podcast, on Twitter, Omega Particle underscore, and you can find us on Facebook at The Omega Particle Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And always remember, second star on the right, straight on till morning.